0: So I remember hearing this story from a man who was a professor, theologian, and pastor, Dr. R.C. Sproul. He recounts his earlier years in teaching. And when he was teaching, as you do in higher education, you give your students a syllabus for when. Assignments are due. When tests are taking place, and so Sproul handed out that syllabus at the beginning of the semester, and then came the first paper that was due that semester, and some students didn't have it, um, didn't have it done, and so they begged for mercy from Dr. Sproul. Please, 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 just give us an extension. We'll get it done. We promise. Please have mercy. And Sproul has mercy on them. Here's the extension. This is when the paper's due. Oh, oh, how kind and wonderful you are, Dr. Sproul. And then another month went by. Another paper was due. And then he's calling names again. Bring your paper. Bring your paper. Then he gets to his student. I don't have it done. And then he noticed that actually more students didn't have it done that time than at the previous time. Have mercy on us, Dr. Sproul. Dr. Sproul. Okay, I'll have mercy on you. I'll give you an extension. Just have it done by the extension. Oh, yes, we will. We promise. And students turned it in late and he showed mercy. Then the next paper was due. And as Froel recounts it, he says he calls names for the paper and then a student says, "Yeah, I don't have it in, but, you know, you're going to give us an extension anyway, so it's no big deal." And Sproul noticed that even more students didn't have the paper done. And so what he said when that student gave this response, he had his grade book in front of him, and he said in front of the class, F. And that student, what? I can't, you, you did what? That's not fair! <laughs> and Sproul said, fair? Do you want to know what's fair and what's just? I gave you the due dates. And in the past, what I did was I showed you mercy. But now you're taking advantage of that mercy and presuming on the mercy, and you need to experience what's fair and just. You need to understand. (laughs) I'm glad I wasn't one of those students. Although, I bet that lesson stuck with them. Don't you think? I think that is how we as human beings can be like when God shows mercy to us or to others. It reminds me of the passage of scripture that we actually sang part of just a little bit ago from the book of Romans where Paul is talking to the people and he says, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing That his kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? God's kindness is meant to lead you to turn from clinging to the things around us and to turn to him? Don't you realize that? And do you know what Paul goes on to say to these people? He says, but because of your hard and impenitent, your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. What Paul is saying here is essentially people can just drink in all of God's kindness And all of his patience. And they can experience many blessings from God. And what they should do with that is to say, Oh, we don't deserve that. And that just shows your nature. You are so kind. You are so wonderful. We need you more than we need this stuff. But what happens is is that we love the stuff more than we love God. And what we end up revealing is that our hearts don't really love God. We love the stuff. And we're storing then up wrath, punishment, reasons for why we're condemned. people receive so much from God. And the more they receive, the more they reject. So just like students in Sproul's class, or like what Paul is talking about here, we can presume on God's kindnesses and then just enjoy the ride, all the while ignoring the Lord. And many people think that they're going to be fine. They think it's okay to ignore God because... They presume on God's mercies. Well, God's showing us mercy. I haven't seen really any major problems. But God's mercy doesn't negate justice. And this is precisely what we see in the narrative this morning. It's an important message for all of us to hear. It's extremely important. For the original Jews who were wandering in the wilderness to read this message as well. These people, again, think about them. They have left Egypt, they're wandering in a wilderness, they're starting to see city-states, and they can look and they can look at the Egyptians and they can look at these other nations and say, they seem to be doing fine. They reject God, they worship other gods, and they're okay. And we're the ones wandering in a wilderness. It seems like God approves of them. So maybe it's okay to just reject God because you know what? God's gracious anyway. We've already seen this in the story, haven't we? God's mercy to Adam and Eve, tremendous mercy that God has shown in forgiving and giving them new clothes to symbolize their forgiveness. Now we go into a story about Cain and Abel, these two brothers, and we're going to see an emphasis on Cain. A brother who, in some ways, mimics his parents in their sin, but then at a certain point, he just completely reveals his heart and shows a complete turn from the Lord. And what we see in this story is that We ought not to presume on the kindnesses of God. What we see in this story is that people do presume on the kindnesses of God. And that's not okay. Now what I want to propose is a main question for this text. Will I trust this God of mercy and judgment or will I live in unbelief? I think this is the type of question that is confronting the Israelites and us as we read this story about Cain. Or I could say it this way, am I trampling on grace through my unbelief? Or am I living as a grateful recipient of grace through faith? Now, I want to say something forthrightly at this point. In this story, we, and for those of you who don't know the story that we're going into, just for your sake even, to start off, we have this story of two brothers and they bring sacrifice to the Lord And God accepts one and doesn't accept the other. Okay? In this narrative, there is not one mention of the word trust or faith. And yet, I bring this up in this main question. Why trust? (laughs) Why faith? What does this story have to do at all about faith? So, I'm going to put this out here. The New Testament tells us it has everything to do with faith. In the book of Hebrews, that chapter that we often refer to as the hall of faith starts off right towards the beginning, verse four, about Abel and says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. The implication of this text is Abel had faith. Cain didn't. Abel depended on the Lord and relied on him. Cain did not. And so what we have actually in this narrative too, the way Moses writes this narrative, is very interesting. The focus of the attention is on Cain. Look at Cain. The repetition of the name Cain and his actions goes over and over and over again because I think what Moses wants us to see is a contrast and comparison between Adam and Eve and God's work with them and with Cain. God is always merciful, but don't trample on his mercy. Don't be like Cain, who is unbelieving. Turn to the Lord, trust him. Even if life doesn't make sense, even if you're the ones wandering around, trust the Lord. So what we're going to do today is we're going to focus on Cain. And we're going to see how unbelief was manifested in Cain's responses. Unbelief, lack of dependence. So we're going to just have five principles that we get from this text. And the first is, unbelief is angry towards the faithful followers of God. Let's read verses 1 through 5 together. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife. And she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel... Was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Can we just say, or if you have your Bibles open, I hope you do, can you say this next line with me? So Cain was very angry. And his face fell. After Adam names Eve the mother of all living, and after he and Eve are clothed with new clothes to symbolize their forgiveness, we're told then that at some point in time, God gives Eve a child. Remember the promise, there's going to be a serpent crusher to come, the seed of the woman. So now she has a child. And then she doesn't just have one child. Then we're told about another child that comes. She has Cain. She has Abel. Abel becomes a shepherd. Cain is a farmer. And at some point in time then, Cain and Abel bring sacrifices to the Lord. And the word for sacrifice here in this text is the same word that Moses is going to use to refer to the sacrifices that the Israelites did in their worship. What we see here is that Cain offers from the ground. Abel offers from his flock. And then we're told this statement. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. That's so intriguing. Why? Like There's, there's no explanation between these verses. He gives this, he gives this. Nope to you, yes to you. Is God playing favorites here? What's, what's happening in this? Now, in reading commentaries this past week, there was a lot of ink used to discuss why they thought that Cain, uh, Cain's sacrifice wasn't accepted by the Lord. And I think all of them... I think all of them acknowledged Hebrews 11, which I just read earlier, but they also wanted to get into like, some other things. Maybe it was this, maybe it was that, maybe it was this kind of thing. I appreciated one commentator who just said, let the silence speak. Think about how we're not, we're not told a reason. The, the silence is almost deafening here, which I think should speak. Maybe the shocking silence as to the reason why God didn't accept Cain's sacrifice is meant to cause us to consider that the problem is not in what we could see. The problem was deeper. It was the heart, which is what we can't see. Because you look at these sacrifices. By the way, some people will say, well, no, God also didn't accept the sacrifice because we know that Abel offered a blood sacrifice and and Cain just offered a sacrifice from the ground. And, and, and it says here, too, that Abel offered a sacrifice with the fatty portion. So, like, that was a great sacrifice that he gave. And, and Cain just gave, you know, this, this sacrifice over here. But just let me ask you a question. If you know the Old Testament and, and Old Testament Israel, did, did God command grain offerings? Yes. Did he? Yes. So, so it could have been accepted. But it wasn't. Maybe that's because God is reaching into the heart. And that's why I think even the author of Hebrews can confidently say he didn't have faith. Abel did have faith. And and there's implications for us today as we think about this. Did did you know, and I know this isn't going to shock you, but did you know that we can externally act religiously and do good things and our hearts are not in it have you ever done that before yeah i can i can do the right things i can say the right things i can act the right way i can come to church on a sunday morning and i can paste a smile on my face but god knows the heart And as soon as God gives his declaration, we see Cain's unbelief revealed. He becomes angry, and we're told his face fell. Cain's unbelieving, non-dependent, independent, untrusting heart came out in anger. Now, this word for anger also has connotations with depression. He's depressed and angry. Have you ever been angry, depressed? And what's the point of anything? You want to give up. Maybe you've had a season in your life where you felt like you're doing the right stuff, you're doing the right things, and trials come. You weren't doing bad things, and you were trying really hard, and then bad things happen to you. Have you ever been angry with God about those things? Anybody willing enough to raise their hands and say, yeah, I've been there. Why do we do that? I think it's because we actually think We deserve something from God. We have this presumption on the basis because God has been so merciful to us in so many ways, we then start to hold God accountable to always show us mercy. I want you to think about this. Well, no, I'm going to hold off on that. We'll think about it later. For Cain... He wasn't really pursuing a relationship with the Lord, was he? He's doing things, and he just wants God's blessing. That's all he really wants. Cain wasn't doing the right thing. Cain was doing just the right thing because he expected God to commend him and give him a gold star. Yay, I'm a good boy. Good. Now I can do my stuff. You're not going to be mad at me. I'm going to keep experiencing your blessings that's how so many people live in this life but do you realize that god j- doesn't just want your behavior he wants you do you know that he wants your heart not just your behavior he doesn't need your behavior i mean he doesn't need us either but he wants us he wants us but here cain's angry and that anger reveals he doesn't really want god he doesn't really want god And he's pointing the finger back at God. Because God commended Abel. Cain's angry. And that makes me think of many times, even as a pastor, when I have confronted people in their sin, and they have responded with anger or depression. And then guess what happens? They blame me for making them feel angry and depressed. Could it be that they're angry and depressed because they're idle what they really worship has been tumbling down, has been confronted. Like Cain, we won't acknowledge our sin, or people won't acknowledge their sin. And to add to this, like Cain, many people point their, forward, their, their finger outward and say, no, it's their fault. They're the problem, not me. So unbelief has been revealed in Cain. And unbelief continues to be revealed in disregarding God's warnings. Look at verses 6 through 8. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to his brother Abel, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel, And killed him. The Lord speaks directly to Cain. Clearly, even outside of Eden, God is showing his mercy at the time by still communicating with people. Now, by the way, God's not asking questions because he doesn't know the answer. The Bible tells us, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so God is exposing Cain's heart by asking a question and getting Cain to speak. He's wanting Cain to consider the real reason why he is depressed, and why he's angry. And so then God says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Now what's that mean? Cain could have said, I did do well. I gave you this sacrifice. I offered this to you. Yeah, but his heart wasn't in it. And just like if we go back to the Hebrews passage, just a couple verses down from Abel, and without faith, say it with me, It is impossible to please God. If you're not dependent on the Lord, if you don't know your neediness for Him, then God is not pleased in whatever actions you do. It's impossible to please Him. Cain, you're not doing well because there's no faith. And then God gives him a warning. If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. What's he saying? If you don't depend on the Lord, Cain, that sin is like an animal ready to pounce on you and take you out. Then we get this wording that is essentially identical to God's statement of punishment to Eve. If you mark in your Bibles, you might want to make a note next to this and point back to chapter 2, to Eve's punishment. In Eve's punishment, do you remember what that was? Your desire will be for your husband, right? Or your desire will be contrary to your husband and he will rule over you. And the idea, I believe, from that text is that, that there is going to be sinful tension between husband and wife. And so... So the woman might want to rule over the man, and the man is going to sinfully try to rule over her. So if if that's the case in that context, what does this statement mean? I think what God is saying is that sin wants to rule over you, Cain, and Cain must powerfully rule over and destroy it. You might be familiar with the old quote by John Owen, Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. This is, this is what God is saying to Cain. you got to kill it. It's ready to pounce and devour you. you got to kill it. you got to be active with it, Cain, because it wants, it wants to swallow you whole. And that is the reality even to this day. We cannot tame sin. Did you know that? We can think, oh, I don't think it's that big of a deal. And that's what sin wants you to think. But it's rebellion nonetheless, and it will always take you further than you wanted to go. Always. Does Cain heed God's words? No. Cain was already resolute, he already had his plan. I'm not going to listen to God. God doesn't give me what I want. Sin, on the other hand, yes, I want to kill my brother. And so he goes out to the field to murder his brother. God had warned Cain that through taking matters in his own hands, that sin was going to control him more. Now, by the way, this attitude is not only ever expressed in Cain. It's it's for the Israelites wandering the wilderness to consider and for us to consider today. Again, sin always wants to take us further than we want to go. It always wants to manipulate us and bring us under its spell and God is warning Cain and us to rule over and destroy sin. I also want you to see something so intriguing here. The emphasis in this story is on Cain. Who died? Who died? Abel. Abel. Who actually did well? Abel. What does he get for following after God? Death. What? By the way, the New Testament's gonna bring that up later on. Don't be surprised if the world hates you, just like Cain hated his brother. You see, because the Israelites, again, wandering in the wilderness, what do we get out of following after God? These other nations seem to have good stuff. Why don't we get this stuff? We're the ones wandering around. We're the ones that are experiencing difficulty. Have you ever felt similarly in your life before? What do I get for following after God? I got this problem, this problem, this problem. And I think the emphasis already, already in the beginning of Genesis is what you get from God is God. If you really understand who God is, then life is about him and death is about him. Cain's unbelief persists in not heeding God's warning and goes further into hating responsibility for his sin. Look at verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Question, does God not know where Abel is? He knows where Abel is. This is another thing where God is asking a question to get Cain to reveal his heart. Cain says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Oh, my goodness. Now, there are two potential meanings to this word keeper. One is a very general understanding where um, you take care of somebody. Now, if if that's what Cain means, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? He's essentially saying, I don't know, am I supposed to care about my brother? yeah, right? And if you go on in Moses' writing, how often Moses emphasizes the the need for the Israelites, not only to care for their individual family, but all fellow Israelites. Am I my brother's keeper? Uh Uh-huh. The fact that you're even asking that question reveals there's a problem. There's hatred in your heart because you don't care. You don't even care. Now, that could be what Cain means when he says keeper. There is another sense to this word of keep, which is used in other passages that can only refer to something God can do. Like when, when the Israelites are blessed by the priests, and the priests say, the Lord bless you and keep you. Like that saying, only God can keep you in his arms and keep you safe and secure eternally forever. He cares for every one of his own keeper. Now, if Cain is saying that, what is he saying? What is he really saying? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Like, way to go, God. You let me kill one of your own. I have power whoa you get that like uh, i'm just gonna walk away and you're gonna get zapped man like how dare you how dare you for talking that way to god it could be either scenario but either scenario reveals that cain isn't taking responsibility at all like his mom and dad he points the finger outward he points the finger potentially upward, but it's definitely not on him. You see the blindness? And I want to ask you the question about your own life. Are there sins that are blinding you? Unbelief that you're holding on to? And Maybe you go to church, you look good, but your heart is far from the Lord. Do you defend yourself more than you defend God? I and mean, God doesn't need our defense, but like, Where are you? I pray that you don't presume on the mercies of God, but that the kindness of God would lead you to repent. Because again, sin will take you further than you want to go, and it keeps taking Cain further. Unbelief fights against the consequences. Let's read verses 10 through 14. The Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you've driven me today away from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. God's not going to have Cain's self-justification and self-defense anymore. Cain's words cannot drown out Abel's blood crying from the ground, demanding justice. Mercy does not mean there's no justice. You hear that? And Abel's blood is crying out from the ground. And now what God says to Cain is that it's going to be even more difficult than it was after Adam's punishment to work the ground. And Cain is going to be a wanderer and a fugitive. And in the Hebrew, those two words are actually meant to be put together to say a wandering fugitive. That's what he's going to be, a wandering fugitive. But do you notice here something I think that should still surprise us? God doesn't take Cain's life. Why doesn't he take Cain's life? Even in this significant punishment that God gives him, God still is showing mercy to Cain. Right? Because what does Cain deserve? What Death. What Abel's blood is crying out for. And yet, God shows mercy to Cain. Now, question for you. Is God's mercy to Cain showing that he approves of what Cain has done? No. No, it's not. What it's showing is the character of God. That even in judgment, he shows mercy. And he extends mercy to sinners. Which, by the way, again should speak to the wandering Israelites to say, why do all those people have all those good things? Is it because they're doing right things? No. It's because God is merciful. Right? But what Cain's response to this point reveals his turn completely from how his parents responded. You know, his parents... His parents heard mercy and mercy, and we see faith. Adam names his wife the mother of all living. They believe the serpent crusher is going to come. Cain's response is different. What's his his response in verse 14? "What? What? Oh, my goodness. I can't bear this. I can't do that. Look what you've got. Somebody might kill me. That's ironic. Right? What did he just do? He just murdered his brother, and now he's saying, but somebody might kill me. And by the way, when he's saying, I'm going to be kicked out away from your face, is he saying, man, I just wanted to commune with you? No. He's saying, I'm not going to have any of your blessings anymore. I'm not going to have any of the stuff. He's not concerned about having God. He was never concerned about having God. He just wanted the stuff. And then he's like, this is going to be really difficult. It's going to be really hard because the ground's going to be even harder for me to work. <laughs> you see how sin makes us stupid? Like, I'm serious. It's stupid. And, it, and, it, and it's horrifically stupid. It's foolish. It's rebellious. It's sinful. It's traitorous. And he doesn't see it. He's still treating God as though he's at the same level. we got to come to an agreement here because this isn't fair. You have to show me mercy. And it has to be this way. Sin has pounced, sin is swallowing him. And where he should be saying, Lord, have mercy, he's arguing with him. And then not only that, it continues. Unbelief persists despite God's protection. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold, and the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. God extends mercy, even here. God put some kind of mark on Cain, don't know what that is, but some kind of mark to show who he is, and you better not kill him. That's grace. Cain doesn't deserve that. But he receives it. Then we read, Cain goes away from the presence of the Lord. He settles in the land of Nod, which the word Nod actually means wandering. So he settles in the land of wandering as a wandering fugitive, which means he's not really settled. He's stuck in never-ending restlessness stuck in never-ending wandering. That's what sin does, by the way. God has placed eternity in our hearts, so that that's what Ecclesiastes says, so that we don't know the end from the beginning. And when we seek to find the answers to eternity just in this world, it's just wandering. It's just moving around from place to place, and there's no rest. And yet Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest. Cain's unbelief persists. He's never reconciled to the Lord, even though the Lord protects him, and he heads away from Eden. He wanders away, and we see sin crouched, sin pounced, and sin is ruling him. Now, what does this teach the wandering Israelites? And what does it mean for us? Again, as I said earlier, the Israelites could look at Egypt and the other lands, or we could look at other people around us who are pursuing sin, and we can see that God shows mercy to them. And we could presume on that that God approves. Is that a right assumption? No. The assumption is, wow, God. You are so kind. And God's kindness is meant to lead to what? Repentance. You want those people to see your kindness so that they would turn to you and know that you are the safety, you are the hope, you are life itself. So now I have a question for you. Is unbelief... Living in your heart. Whether you are a Christian, someone who follows after Jesus, or someone who doesn't, we can all still ask that question. Jesus talking to his disciples, oh you of little faith. A man says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. We all have degrees of unbelief in our heart. And we ought to ask ourselves this question when we, when we look at a story like this with Cain to say, Lord, this unbelief is not okay. You are life. Don't let me be presumptuous with your mercies. So how ought we to respond when we read a story like Cain and we recognize our own unbelief? Ultimately, the answer is in Jesus. Jesus. Now, what do I mean by that? What does that that look like? If you remember, God promised that there was going to be a seed of the woman. And then right in chapter 4, God gave me help by giving me a man. Is this the serpent crusher? Is this the one? And then he gives another one. And you're like, wait a second, he gave two. What's going on here? Actually, what we discover is that Cain is a representative of the seed of the serpent. Because later on in 1 John chapter 4, John actually says he was from the devil. So it's as though this mini picture is taking place between seed of woman, seed of serpent. And then it looks like the seed of serpent wins. You see that? Takes the heel. But ultimately, I I want you to hear the words in the story about Abel's blood. Did you notice that? Isn't that intriguing? Abel's blood is crying out, demanding. What is, what is Abel's blood demanding? Justice. There needs to be justice. There needs to be justice at sin. And so, we even have in the book of Hebrews... A statement. Unfortunately, it's not on the screen behind me, but let me read it to you. Hebrews 12, verse 24. If you take notes, write that down. Hebrews 12, 24 refers to Jesus as the mediator of the new covenant. And it speaks of his sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You hear that? Abel's blood can only speak justice. Justice. And that's not bad. We need justice. But Jesus' blood speaks mercy through justice. Because Jesus took the punishment our sins deserved on the cross. Jesus became sin who knew no sin. I know many of you probably, you walk into the auditorium, you see this cross here. Have any of you ever taken time to read what's on that list? Any of you? Some of you. Do you know what it is? They're they're sins from the Ten Commandments. And then if you notice, we we just added this idea of it's darker at the top and it gets lighter and lighter and lighter, which is meant to symbolize how Jesus takes away our sins. You know, when Jesus came to this earth, we're told in John that Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. Why? Because the world was condemned already. We are all just like Cain. We're all unbelieving. We all would rather have God's stuff than God. And we want to be approved of what we do on our own, apart from him. And Jesus didn't come in to condemn us because we already are. He came in to say, my blood speaks a better word. My blood speaks mercy. A mercy that can satisfy justice and can change your heart. What kind of God does this? The only God who so loves the world that he will show mercy and mercy and mercy and mercy and mercy and and satisfy judgment by him taking the wrath on himself. So that anyone who trusts in him will have life. And, by the way, for us who are believers, to continue to walk by faith. Because the scriptures say, so as you received him, so walk in him. Keep walking by faith. Keep walking in dependence on him. Don't turn from God's face one second longer. Turn back to him. Let his kindnesses lead you to repentance repentance so as I said earlier will will I trust this God of mercy and just judgment or will I live in unbelief am I trampling on grace through my unbelief or am I living as a grateful recipient of grace through faith without faith it is impossible to please God so I pray you would find grace and life and continue to find grace and life In Jesus, who is the seed of the woman. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to continue on in worship and in giving as well. So let's pray together. Father, you are so good. Merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And you also say that you do not clear the guilty. The only way, Father, we know that we are forgiven is because of Jesus. With you there is forgiveness so that we might honor and worship and adore you. And so, Father, I thank you. And I pray that we who trust in Christ, that we would thank you, gloriously so today. You have forgiven us. You have set us free. You are continuing to set us free from things that that seek to try to bind us and, and take us down. But because of Jesus, we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are set free to righteousness. Oh, Father, draw us closer to you. And as a result, I pray you would draw us closer to one another, that we would love, not hate, our brothers and sisters in Christ. That we would praise your name all the more. Thank you, Father. And this in Jesus' name we praise. Amen. And hear these words of blessing now.